where nobody knows your name is recorded in front of nobody. Hello and welcome to Where Nobody Knows Your Name. I'm John. And I'm James. Oh, what an episode today, James. The Bar Stooley. The Bar Stooley. I feel this must be a reference of some kind, but either way, it's a fun word. Well, I, I have no idea what it means. One who inhabits a bar stool, perhaps. In line with that, I guess we'll crack on with the episode. It was released on the 5th of December, 1985, directed by, of course, Jimmy B, James Burroughs. And it's written by Andy Cowan and David S. Williger, who are newcomers. I don't think we've seen them before. I don't remember the name. I remember a name like Williger. For first time episode, ooh, they threw it out the park. Hit it out the park. <laughs> they threw it out the park. Continuing our streak of getting phrases wrong and uh, <laughs> just missaying things. They did a good job in this episode, is what I'm trying to say. Threw it out the park. So where do we begin, James? Let's start with a cold open. Classic cold open. And uh, Woody's sending some messages back home, which is nice. Yes, yeah, thoughtful. Nice gesture. Yeah, some audio messages, some nice tapes. I'm trying to think of a better word, but let's just call them what they are. Cassette tapes. Yeah, and he's, he's getting little quotes and snippets around the bar. It's something that Diane did, maybe in season one, similar idea of her Snippets of America scrapbook. Similar thing, but Woody's taken it to the, I was going to say 21st century. the Late 20th century. Tape recordings, and he's trying to get a nice quote from Mr. Peterson, a.k.a. Norm. Your son is a hard-working young man. You should be proud. We at Cheer certainly are. And what's more... I think it's a little further along here. I believe it was Elizabeth Barrett Browning who said... Now let me tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, fill me up, Woody. I think we're in here for a while. Dan goes on a bit. Yeah, so they'll be waiting there for a while, and I'll tell you how long it's waiting. They needed to put the titles in just to <laughs> just to go, you'll be here for a while, audience. Do you know, for a second there, James, I thought you had done the research and, like, timed the seconds and researched how long a cassette tape fast-forwards it. No, I haven't done that. I mean, the last time I fast-forwarded cassette tapes was when I was a child. Must have been, oof, Deep Purple's In Bach, which I had on cassette tape. That's a blast from the past, isn't it? Oh, it's not my past, because I have no idea what you're on about, James. Deep Purple In Bach. It's an album by Deep Purple, and the wordplay I admire, because, you know, Vox a type of music, but the cover is the faces of Deep Purple used as the faces for Mount Rushmore, so it's sculpted in rock, the material. Oh, you with your puns. If only that was the tape they were listening to, is that they just got Diane rambling on for a very long time. As it comes into the main episode, the first scene is minutes, if not seconds, after the cold open, and Woody has found the end of Diane's message. You know, it's, I'm sure it was a meaningful message, but she left no room for Norm. Hi, uh, hi folks, this is Norm. <laughs> No, that's the end of the tape. I'm sorry you didn't get to leave your whole message. That was the whole message. (laughs) Oh, thanks. What more do you need? He's a man of the people, is Norm. On the other end, they'll be saying, Norm! (laughs) And as you said, this brings us on to the main part of the episode. A while ago, you described Cheers as the misadventures of... Tune in next week for the erotic misadventures of Sam Malone. 
episode 43. This is very much one of those episodes. And in this misadventure, we see Sam preparing for a date in the bar. She's waiting and he's bringing two drinks over. He's got a lot of confidence, I'd say. Very direct. And I was like, if this is a first date, this is this <laughs> is even worse than first dates I've been on. I didn't make crass comments with Sam. I just ate all their food. But you know, Sam, Sam is just being very, what's the word? Chauvinistic. Misogynist. Oh, yeah, both of them. I mean, he says um, she's mentally fixing breakfast in the morning. I mean, when he said that, I went, I do like breakfast. but <laughs> Someone is impressed with his date, and that's Diane. Because I believe she's reading a book, but I can't remember which book, James. It's a book on art. Too smart for me. This book sounded smart. I, uh, no. Diane and Sam's date, Claudia, they hear off. And Claudia decides that she's going to invite Diane to the date. Yeah, Diane sort of invites herself. She just goes, oh, I know this lovely place you should go to. It's got delicious food. And I know a lot about Indian cooking. And then Claudia goes, you should come with us. And I'm going, that's the first sign, Sam. When your date invites someone else, I believe Claudia didn't know that they used to be a couple. But when your date invites someone else, it's probably the first sign she doesn't really want to pursue what you're trying to pursue, Sam. There's many clues. There's many clues that it's not going to go well. But that's probably the biggest one. In sort of reaction, Sam calls up the restaurant and he tries to make sure that it's going to be as secluded as possible, their table. A table of two. And one third person will be as far away as possible. He has a cunning plan. <laughs> <laughs> How could it go wrong? It reminds me of uh, Baldrick from Blackadder, which is a classic comedy here in the UK, where the protagonist's sidekick every so often says, I've got a cunning plan, and the plan is just ludicrous. One bit where it's in World War One, and... The main character goes, Baldrick, what are you doing? And Baldrick goes, well, sir, you know how everyone says there's a bullet with their name on it? Yes. Well, I'm carving my name into this bullet, and if I own the bullet, then no one can shoot me. If people don't know what Blackadder is, and you start, well, there's this one bit in World War One. and everyone's like, what's that going on? There's a bit in World War One. There's a few episodes set during World War One. Well, each season's a different time period, but people don't know it. Crazy. They're going to look into it now. <laughs> what a way to tease another 80s sitcom. As we move into the next part of the episode, James, we get what I can assume the title is taken from. I'm not sure what the bar stoolie means. I'd guess it's about this plot. Begins when a phone call comes into the bar. Ask him for Cliff. And Cliff thinks it's some woman calling, you know, perhaps some date or asking him to return shower curtains to Florida. And do you know what? I say it's more surprising than that. There's no way that would happen. But I thought this was more surprising. Cliff Sr. is on the phone. Yes. And Cliff just basically goes, bye. You walked out on us for the last time. We don't know the full details, but I imagine it's similar to that age old joke where it's, um, Where's your dad? Oh, he went out to get cigarettes. Okay, that was 20 years ago. And after this phone call, of course, Clifford Clavin Sr. appears at the bar, but Cliff doesn't want to see him. So he sort of runs and hides as he does normally. <laughs> he hides behind the piano thinking, no one will see me here. Though what I do find notable is that it's good that over the past four seasons, Cheers as a show has got more popular and more wealthy because they're able to afford all the extras to populate the bar for Cliff to actually hide behind. Because if this was in the first three episodes of season one, he'd just be hiding <laughs> hiding behind the bar with his head peeping up or something. Just with a pint glass in front of his face. But it doesn't matter because Cliff's dad doesn't even know who he is or doesn't recognise him. Doesn't know his job, which I thought was an interesting thing to say because Cliff's so defined by his job. Didn't Cliff Sr. say that he talked to Cliff's mother? 
If he did, I'd, yeah, I'd be surprised if he didn't know what Cliff did. Cliff's still not having it, and he tells him to hit the bricks. Hit the bricks, pal. It's uh, <laughs> one of Cliff's catchphrases. He's, he's going to throw him out the park. There's a great moment. Cliff Senior, he knows what he's doing. He boops him. Yes. Is this a, hey, you got something on your tie there? Is it a piece of beef wellington, perhaps? <laughs> Cliff admires it. He forgives him. Dad, you always know how to push the right button. Hey! <laughs> It's a kind of sweet moment, really on brand for Cliff, I think. They just fall into a father-son dynamic pretty quick after that. Yeah, we got 20 years of father-son activities to catch up on, and we only got one evening to do it. Why is that, Dad? I can't tell you. <laughs> it's important for plot reasons that I don't tell you immediately. We do find out that his dad is uh, leaving at the end of the next day, which sort of accelerates their relationship a bit, and we'll delve back into that plot a bit more later on, I guess. In the meantime, let's go to this lovely Indian restaurant where two people sitting on a table having a great time and a third person sitting on another table watching Sam eat alone. (laughs) Really far away. But of course we don't see that date, James. Well, it's interesting because you heard our interview with Ken Levine a few weeks back, which was terribly exciting for us. But we discussed how in early episodes... They set all of the plot inside Cheers, and in this episode, they've done the same. And as we discussed with Ken, it was for character reasons. When an episode revolved so heavily around driving character, they often did put it within a closed environment so that that was built up. Yeah, and it was particularly uh, funny to see them come back as well and hear about it. And Sam's got quite a description of how his meal went. You're not still angry about sitting alone? I wasn't alone. You're forgetting about that 300-pound Hindu with a goiter that kept fanning me. (laughs) And now that we've heard about both sides of the plot, James, I guess it might be a good time to talk about some of the guest stars in this episode. Dick O'Neill as uh, Cliff Clavin Sr. Would you like me to tell you what else he's appeared in? Of course, James. I wouldn't have it any other way, James, as long as you end it with uh, amongst many more. Then it's fine. He also appeared in The Taking of Pelham 123, the 1974 version, Good Times, Kojak, Barney Miller, Sanford and Son, Beretta, one of your favourites, Wonder Woman, Three's Company, Chips, The Jerk, Different Stroke, The Incredible Hulk, Mash, The Fall Guy, Heart to Heart, Magnum P.I., Trapper John M.D., Night Court, Home Improvement, Dharma and Greg, and Family Matters among many more. Including Murder, She Wrote. Just throw that on there. Murder, She Wrote. And Cheers. He was in Cheers? I didn't know that one. Now, I'm going to give you a guess, John. What do you think is the first name of the actress who played Claudia? Claudia. It is. (laughs) I'll take actors' names in Cheers for 300, (laughs) Alex. Claudia Kwan as Claudia. She also appeared in Stir Crazy, Hill Street Blues, Magnum P.I., The Twilight Zone, L.A. Law, and many more. Some uncredited roles. We had Ken Domain as customer. This is his last episode, so no more of Domain Man. <laughs> that's that's uh, genuinely <laughs> terrible, James. And, of course, Al Rosen as Al, who is also uncredited. That's our guest cast, and I, I think it was an, a nice one. I think there were some really good characters. But on their return to Cheers, after their date, Sam, Claudia and Diane, they return to Cheers and Sam's keen to continue the date without Diane. And he's like, hey, why don't we go back to my place? She's like, no, no. And one of them suggests dessert. And I don't know who it is, but I found myself going, yes! 
just dessert. And we're better than upstairs at Malville's. Good cheesecake. Which I was surprised by. I'm surprised that a seafood restaurant does good cheesecake. Now, I'm not saying that they do a seafood-themed dessert. That just sounds weird. But I can't think of any place which does a nice seafood and cheesecake. Well, now you know. Now I know. Actually, we don't know if the seafood's good. I don't think we've heard about that before. We know it's pungent. Clam chowder. I seem to remember that. Is that one? Yeah, clam chowder is a Boston classic dish. So when we go to Boston, then I'm looking forward to some clam chowder and uh, cheesecake. And where do we go from here, James? They decide they're going to get cheesecake. Sam's called up. There's only two pieces. There's only two pieces of cheesecake left. So don't you be playing any games with me, (laughs) Claudia. I'm having both slices, is how I would have responded in that situation. You left me alone in an Indian restaurant just eating by myself, which I'd be fine with. But then it's like, there's two slices of cheesecake left and... Well, Claudia, I'm I'm having both. I deserve both. I feel like if he said that, he would have got the same response of what he did say as well anyway. Basically just said he's unbelievable in terms of his chauvinisticness, his misogyny earlier as well. And she walks out. And then Sam goes, Ooh, woe is me. I'll have to have two slices of cheesecake all by <laughs> myself. Whatever will I do, Diane? And Diane goes, fine, I'll have cheesecake. I feel this is a win-win for... <laughs> For Diane, because she's like, you lost your date and I get some cheesecake for free because Sam's paying. Crafty one, Diane, as Baldrick would say, that's a cunning plan. (laughs) It was all just for that cheesecake. She knew it all along. Really, this episode should be called Diane the Cheesecake Thief. (laughs) And it it kind of folds into, um, you mentioned our interview a couple of weeks ago with Ken Levine, that the idea of the Sam and Diane relationship is still going, uh, not necessarily strong, but it's definitely in the writers' minds as they're writing these episodes that it's come back to that at the end. Exactly. There's always a place for it in every episode. So uh, if if we go to the end of this episode, James, we return to Senior and Son, the the Cliffords. As good old Cat Stevens said, father and son. (laughs) As Cat Stevens sang, as we mentioned during this episode, Cliff Senior, he's there for one day, one day only. He's got to make a quick, I was going to say, quick getaway. Amends as well. He reveals to Cliff that he's actually wanted by the police. My business has got me in a little trouble with the law. What kind of business is that? Real estate fraud. So Cliff Senior is uh, skipping town and he asks his son to come with him. But Cliff Claven, he's a man of law. He's a mailman. He refuses and he's in a sort of moral dilemma of whether to call the police and, and give up his dad or not. But as Cliff Senior quotes Cat Stevens, he's thinking, I know I have to go away. So Cliff's in a moral dilemma. He goes to go talk to his dad. He's just went to the bathroom and his dad's left through the window. Which they foreshadowed early in the episode when Cliff first appeared. Norm goes, other Cliff, young Cliff, Cliff the younger. <laughs> you, you may have time to escape through the bathroom window. And I went, there's a bathroom window, which answers how they escaped the bathroom during their bathroom stuffing contest. <laughs> You've thought it all through. But what I found quite nice about this situation is uh, Carla's the one who actually uh, comforts Cliff after this. And she knows that he's kind of, he lives in a deluded kind of fantasy. It's a little known fact. More and more people have been going into men's rooms and vaporizing. (laughs) I mean, just disappearing into thin air. It's an unexplained phenomenon. It's kind of like uh, the Bermuda Triangle. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get serious, will you? Have it your way. Well, you know, however, uh, this much is true, you know, uh, it's been recent sightings of uh, human beings being uh, shot up into the underbelly of alien spacecraft. 
You know, in speaking of the Bermuda Triangle, it's not technically a triangle. It's not? No! It's a trapezoid rhomboid. <laughs> Perfect for uh, attracting Martian spacecraft. I think that's quite nice. Yeah. Not that people disappear in the Bermuda Triangle. I mean, that Carla is trying to comfort him. And, and that leads to the last line of this episode. I mean, it's a, it's a great line. They're perfect for attracting Martian spacecrafts. Which, you know, what a nice ending. That's the trivia bell. That means one thing, James, it's trivia time. Uh, do you want to kick it off with a question? During this episode, Carla states one of her methods for subtly showing interest in a man. But what is it? I don't know, James. <laughs> She stands there naked with a rose in her teeth. Woody says, oh, I'll need to watch out for that one because it's subtle. Similar kind of question, I guess. When the phone goes for Cliff, he says it must be that Tootsie he's got who's been eyeing the cut of his jib, whatever that means. He says that she's looking for a little COD. What does COD stand for, James? Cliffy on demand. Yeah, you got it. You memorise these episodes very well. What magazine does Claudia read while waiting for Sam? Something about art. Yeah, it is something about art. And I thought they could come up with a more exciting title, perhaps a kind of pun, but it's just art forum. Uh Uh-huh. Bit of a boring title. In this episode, James, you're a connoisseur of food yourself. What was the best thing that Sam ate during the meal at the restaurant? That's a good question. You know, I can't remember. Was it a vindaloo? No. He said uh, the only thing that tasted good at the table turned out later to be a candle. <laughs> <laughs> to, to be fair, you can get nice smelling candles and taste is mostly affected by smell. This is why when you have a cold, everything tastes quite bad. So I could see his logic. I feel like you're justifying that the, the candle tasted <laughs> nice. <laughs> John's going, Sam ate a candle and I'm going, well, haven't we all? You're there going, I'll take two. I'll have both candles. Take that, Claudia. You know when you eat the wax of a baby bell? <laughs> you open the cheese in the bin. <laughs> My French housemaid is going, James, baby bell is wax. It is terrible. <laughs> This is not proper cheese. That's what they said when I showed up to a uh, wine and cheese evening with Buckfast and Baby Bell. And they're like, James, this is not how we do things. <laughs> you sound kind of scummy of a modest, James. <laughs> I did it as a joke. And then I went, actually, I've got proper wine. And I bought a bottle of wine from each of my jacket pockets. I concealed it. <laughs> You're not helping yourself, I don't think. <laughs> I didn't want to pay the extra money for a bag. But I was like, hey, these jacket pockets are big enough to fit a bottle of wine in each. And I can use the external pockets for cheese (laughs) but no i paid for the wine and the cheese before anyone gets any ideas and i realize that the more i speak the more it alludes to whatever crime john thinks i may or may not have committed that have alluded to in past off-the-cuff references (laughs) i'll leave it there and let you say a question (laughs) speaking of food what did norm eat at the hungry heifer in this episode? I believe that's a trick question, James, because he didn't eat anything. He ordered the special, the chef's special ribs, which turned out to be just the chef come out and make fun of him. Exactly. It is a trick question. He ordered the chef's special ribs. This question goes for something a bit different, which is what is the surname of Claudia, the character, not the actress? Oh, uh, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't think she had one. Mitchell. That's the last call at the bar, James, which you know means one thing. We have to decide on what we are going to order at the bar for this episode. Cheesecake. Cheesecake? Not going for the special ribs. Two slices of cheesecake. And what are you having, John? I'll have the candle. (laughs) Delicious candle. (laughs) 
What do you think of this episode? You're munching on your candle. <laughs> I, th- I think it was quite a good one. It was a, a very much an episode of two separate stories, both delivered. Yeah, much like Cliff Jr. does, <laughs> for he is a postman. Good to bring it back to postal jokes, you know. Didn't have enough of them. But no, I thought it was a really fun episode. I, I was surprised to see Cliff Clavin Sr. That was a nice surprise. Didn't expect to see that. He was surprised too. <laughs> And uh, I also thought it continued the story well. Some good character development. It would be nice to see Cliff Sr. again, but I think they made it painfully obvious he won't. It's like, Cliff, I have to flee the country. If you don't come with me, uh, you'll never see me again. Martian spacecrafts. Yeah. You know, although they'll never see each other again, not today, not tomorrow, never someday, they'll always have cheers. (laughs) So what are we toasting for the end of this episode, James? I think we're toasting to... Basically, don't keep telling your date that you'll bring her back to your place, especially if she's not displaying mutual statements. Otherwise, you may end up alone in an Indian restaurant and sadly eating cheesecake alone. And candle wax. Yeah, don't be misogynistic or you'll be eating candles. I think that's good advice. All cheers to that, James. Thank you for listening to Where Nobody Knows Your Name. This has been a Cheers podcast.